0: We come to that place in Mark's Gospel where we where we um, find ourselves. Oh, yeah! Better do that. I'm ready to roll. You kids got to get out of here so I can get going. <laughs> Not you, Jessica. You can stay. <laughs> Uh, hey they outnumber Uh, y'all start asking them to stay so we're approaching that place in the gospel where we get to the first Lord's Supper some people call it the Last Supper, but it really not the Last Supper. It was the first of many that we have celebrated through the centuries as a church. And there is another supper that awaits us all when we enter into glory and this day is done and the new one begins and we will all sit at a banquet table with the very one that sat at this table. And so there's much that awaits us, but getting there... Uh, Much has to be done. And I think sometimes we uh, take for granted on this side of the cross just what Jesus had to deal with in order to be our Savior and Lord. What He faced when He looked into the faces of His followers and He knew their heart and He knew the powerless state that they were in against sin and death. And He also knew who He was. And he also knew the power that he had over sin and death. And just how those two things were going to come together very shortly, in just a few hours for him in this story. Those two things were going to come together in such a wonderful, powerful way that sin and death would no more have its way. But getting there is painful for Jesus, although he welcomes it. It's not the kind of thing that you want to experience. And it should be painful for the others in this story. But see but see sin has such a way of getting a, a hold of us that it really loses it, it causes us to lose sight of just what's right in front of us. And often sin gets a hold of us in our lives where we completely miss Jesus and he's right there in front of us. And the things that He has for us and the things that He may show us that are perfectly clear, we tend to push away because it's just not fitting our narrative at the time. And that's exactly what's happening here. It may be one of the most important moments in history. So I want us to look at that. I want us to look at a few things together today. We're going to begin in, chapter, in uh, verse 12. We're going to skip 22 through 26 and then go on down through 31. And what I want us to concentrate on today is just the disciples, the 12, and their response to Jesus. And I want you to begin to kind of find your place. What's your response to Jesus or what has been your response to Jesus? Or what are you hoping to avoid in your life to where you don't wake up one day and appear to be one of one of these. So verse 12 says, On the first day of unleavened bread, or the festival of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, His disciples asked Him, Where do you want us to go and prepare the Passover so that we may eat it? So He sent two of His disciples and told them, Go into the city, And a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Wherever he enters, tell the owner of the house. The teacher says, where is my guest room? And where may I eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make the preparations there. So the disciples went out, entered the city, and found it just as he had told them and they prepared the Passover. When evening came, He arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining and eating, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray Me, one who is eating with Me. They began to be distressed to say to Him one by one, Surely not I. He said to them, it is the it is one of the twelve, the one who is dipping bread in the bowl with me. For the Son of Man will go just as it is written about Him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for him if he had not been born. And then in verse 27, Then Jesus said to them, All of you will fall away. Because it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. And Peter told him, Even if everyone falls away, I will not. Truly, I tell you, Jesus said to him, Today, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, You will deny me three times. But he kept insisting. If I have to die with you. I will never deny you. And they all said the same thing. So these are the words of the Lord. Today for us. As we examine. What it means to be a follower of Jesus. And just who is this Jesus that has given so much. When we look at the first part of this, verses 12 through 16, we read that and we think, well there's not a lot of there, there, it's just kind of a story. They want to know where to eat the Passover and Jesus says, well this is how you're going to find a place to go prepare for the Passover and then they go and they eat there. But there's so much more going on here. When you consider that this is Wednesday and on Sunday, or would have been the first day of the week for them, they Jesus tells him exactly where to find the colt that he would ride into town. Do you remember the story? He says, go and you will find a colt here, a colt that's never been ridden. Bring it back to me and uh, and I'm going to use it to ride into town, basically is what he does. And sure enough, everything is arranged the very, the very way. In fact, he said, people are going to ask you, what are you doing untying that colt? And just tell them that, you know, you're taking it to me and they're going to know what that means and and off you go. And then earlier, we find that um, that the, uh, the, the temple leaders have said, we're going to arrest him and we're going to kill him, but we want to do this without a riot. And of course, in just a few short hours, we'll discover that there is a riot. <laughs> Only it's not by the people to protect Jesus. It's a riot by the people to crucify Jesus. And he knew that too. And then this, this is really strange because they ask where to eat it. And there's some things we've got to kind of put in order here so that we understand. There's only one place to, to sacrifice the Passover lamb, and that's in the temple. So Jesus and his disciples had obviously been to town already, had gone to the temple. And they had not been threatened in any way, although the very people that wanted to kill him were there. And they had sacrificed a lamb because the only lamb that you could eat on Passover was one that was sacrificed in the temple. And you also had to eat inside the city walls of Jerusalem for it to be a real Passover. And so they had gone to the temple, they had, they had sacrificed a the lamb, they had left the, the city for whatever reason. And Jesus says, go back to the city and this is what you're going to find. You're going to find a man carrying a water pot in a culture where no man would ever be called dead carrying a water pot. That was a woman's job to carry a water pot. But you're going to find a man carrying a water pot. So this guy's going to stand out like a like a red flag in a white field. And you follow that guy. He says you're going to meet him, and it's like this. They're walking. This guy comes. They meet this guy. They're going to turn around, and they're going to follow him this way. You're going to meet him, and you're going to follow him. And when he gets to the house, and he goes inside the house, you ask the owner of the house, Where's the teacher supposed to have Passover? And he's going to have everything ready for you already. And I can imagine this day, this guy picking up this water pot to go walk down the street with this water pot, thinking, what in the world am I doing carrying a water pot? And then there's this guy at this house that has an upper room, and he's preparing it for Passover for a group of people, and he may not even understand what in the world he's preparing it for or even who he's preparing it for. All he knows is that he's been told that somebody's going to come ask for the room and it needs to be ready, so he gets his room ready. And the point of all of this is to say that Jesus is is in control of everything that is going on. He is showing again to his disciples, if there's one iota of action that is happening for me to get to my passion, to get to the place where I have come to do what I've come to do, I am in total control of it. Pay attention. Pay attention. That's what this screams to me. Pay attention to who he is. If this man has the answer for where he's going to eat that night, and who is going to prepare it, and what bizarre signal you will know to go there for it, then surely we should listen to him, right? So he's saying to us, listen. There's another part of this story that kind of goes with John's gospel. And you're thinking, oh, wait a minute. Or at least I'm thinking this. You don't cross gospels like that, especially between John and any of the others. But do you remember in John, when they get to the upper room, nobody's washing anybody's feet. In fact, they're all arguing about who's the greatest in John's gospel. That's that's what that's what's on their mind right now, who's the greatest. And there's this water pot there that Jesus takes off his clothes and wraps a towel around his waist and he starts to wash their feet. And so when I read this, my mind just goes to John and say, "Man, Jesus picks a water pot as a symbol to follow, to go to this place where we're going to have the supper together." Follow the water pot because in a very short while I'm going to pour out that water for you. I'm going to pour it on your feet in a very symbolic way like I'm going to pour out my life on that cross. So pay attention to what I'm saying to you. But they don't pay attention. In verses 17 through 21 we discover that they're there eating, everybody's arrived, the 12's there. When we try to line all these things up with the other Gospels, we find that they may have already eaten the, the main course of the meal, and they're waiting for what would be the ceremonial part of the meal. If you've ever done Wednesday night before Easter here with me, we kind of do that same thing. And there's the ceremonial portion coming, which which really indicated for those Uh, the coming days that they were anticipating for Elijah to return and all those sorts of things that uh, the Israelite people were anticipating. That was what that was about to happen. And before they get to that place, Jesus says, I want to tell you something, and it's the truth. It's the same truth that that allowed you to, to know how to get to this room tonight. It may be unexplainable, but it's the same. And this is it. One of you, One of my closest friends here, one of you that has been with me from the beginning nearly, is going to betray me. And this is what sin does to us. Verse 19, And they began to be distressed and to say to Him one by one, Surely not I. I want you to catch the significance of this. Not a man in the room wasn't sure that it wasn't him that would do this. How can you be with the Savior of the world lying next to you, reclined at a table, sharing a meal together? How can you be with him and still not sure? that you can defeat the sin that is in your life to the point of being able to say, there's no way that I would ever betray you. But they're all questioning, how in the world could it possibly be me? It could be me. Might it be me? Might I misunderstand this man so badly that I would just decide to go my own way to say that I'd want nothing to do with him? And to live my life and to get what I want by whatever means? Because that's what Judas did, right? In this whole event, Judas never says anything. And Mark, he never even mentions Judas. But in the other Gospels, Judas never says anything. Sin has taken such a deep root in him that he doesn't even need to say anything. He's just going to go do what he said he's going to do because there's 30 pieces of silver waiting, right? Jesus knows the sin and the death that creeps into our life and He knows the depth and breadth of it in our life and He knows that there's not one person alive or has ever lived that has the power to overcome it, see? If those that are closest to Him cannot be sure that they would not betray Him, then how can anyone be sure? Those were the men that Jesus shared His last meal with on earth. Those were the men that He had entrusted His life to and His teaching to. And they could not be sure. If we're honest, we would say to ourselves on occasion, Who am I really? Who is this Jesus really in my life? Is he is he someone that I can just say, Nah, I don't want anything else to do with that. I'm gonna live life my own way. I'm really gonna achieve the things that I want by whatever means I choose, by my own power. And then there's the others. We pick on Peter all the time because Peter's got a he's a loud mouth. Right? Y'all can say yeah. I mean, you, you, hopefully you all see him one day and you can, you can, y'all can joke and kid about that. He, he's the one that always is shooting off his mouth, uh, before, before he even knows what he's saying. Because Peter's always working under his own power. He is, he is yet to figure out, even at this point, he's yet to figure out what Jesus is about. See, Jesus tells, he tells Judas, he tells Judas, he says, look, what's happening to me, That nothing can change. It's been written. It means that I wrote it out in the scroll before the foundation of the world was ever laid. I know what I'm doing. But woe to the one who brings this betrayal upon me. Meaning you've got a choice in this, but you're going to make the wrong choice. Because sin is so deep and so rooted in your life that you can't even make the right choice. That's what he says to Judas here. And he says the same thing to these, to these other ones. He says, you know, he says, all of you will fall away. Oh, no way, man. We're in it to the end. You got our, we got your back, man. No, what, whatever happens, we're there. And Jesus says, it's written. It's written right there. He, he quotes scripture. He says, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. And you know why that's written like that? You know why the prophet could be so confident about that? Because sin dwells so deep in the heart of a man that you're willing to run from anything that threatens you. We're so fearful and so afraid of life that we will run from anything. So especially when the one that we are following and we've said, Whoo! all in. You know, like like the hog, you're all in. Not like the chicken who just isn't all in. But the hog's all in. I mean, he's given up the bacon. And we say that and then here comes some sin, some weakness in our life that causes us to say, maybe I'm not all in. Maybe I'll just let that thing with Jesus go for a while because it's going to cost me a little too much. So we start backing away. We start backing away. And eventually we fall away. But there's an antidote to all of this. He says, but after I have risen. Now, if you keep if you're keeping count, this is number five. Where Jesus has told him. I will die. Be buried for three days but I'll rise again. He does that three times. Then he talks about rising again between that and, and these Five times now, he's talked about this with great confidence. But after I've risen, I will go ahead of you in Galilee. And uh, Peter tells him again, you know, even if everyone else falls away, I'm not going to fall away. And he says, surely you will. I know exactly. I know this. I have lived this situation already. I know what you're going to do, Peter, because I know the depths of the sin in your heart. You're going to be confronted this very night. About your relationship to me. And with curses you're going to say. I don't have anything to do with that man. Oh yes you do. I saw you with him. No I've got nothing to do with him. I've got nothing to do with him. He says you're going to do that. And they all said. Oh no 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 no. We're all going to be there. Don't you worry. We got you back. And you know why all of that's true? You know why Jesus with great confidence could say that all of that is true? Because there was no way for those men or anyone else, including us, to overcome the allure and power of sin in our life until Jesus did what He did on that cross. There wasn't any way out for anybody. Sin was going to raise its ugly head no matter what happened. Because under our own power, the only power that exists outside of Christ in our life is the power of sin and death. That's it. And Jesus knew that. And the whole time he is in this room and the whole time he's walking with these guys and the whole time they're arguing about who's the greatest and how being last is better than being first and all of these things that he's teaching them, he knew the whole time that it was the power of sin in their life that was ultimately going to reign until He could get on that cross for them and die for them and come out of the grave, leaving all of that behind so that they could live with Him. And He loved them so much that that's all that He wanted. That's all that He wanted for them and that's all that He wants for us. no matter what we say, no matter what we mean, if we are doing it outside of a love and a devotion and faith to Christ, we are operating in the sinfulness of our life. And the only way to overcome nonsense like this is to do like this song that we were just singing. I don't know how you did that. Have your own way with me, Lord. if you want the power of your life to conquer sin in your life, then you cry out to your Lord and say, have your way with me. What would have been different if Judas would have said, have your way with me, Lord? Well, we know one thing. Jesus would have still gone to the cross because He says He would have. It had been written for Him. Somebody would have betrayed Him. It was going to happen. what What if Judas would have said, have your own way. But see, He couldn't. Nobody could. There was no one that could on that side of the cross. There was no power in a man to be able to say have your own way with me to a poor, homeless, wandering rabbi teacher. Would anyone say that to that man? Just have your way with me. To a man who said that you know, foxes have a place to to lay their head, but the Son of Man has none of those things? To a man who's saying, the greatest thing that I'm going to do for you is to die? Is that who you're really going to surrender your life to? Probably not. But the man that conquers death? And the man that says that same power that conquered death? It's for you because I'm going to be with you and I'm never going to leave you and I'm never going to forsake you. Will you have to suffer like me? Yeah. The middle part of this story tells of a covenant relationship that God makes with us. That's next week. So you got to come back next week. I want you to hear, because this is important. These guys were in a lot of pain that night. We forget that. I think we forget it. I think we forget the fact that these guys had been with Jesus for a lot of years. They'd left their families. They'd left their home, left their businesses, left everything to be with Him. And boy, the next thing they know, they're, they're running. They're running from the very people that they've always had a high respect for, for the temple leaders and and the people that enforce the law of of God and all that. They and they're running, they're hiding, they don't know what to do. They're they're really confused and hurting in that. And they had to go through some of that. In fact, they had to go through all of it, I believe, to understand truly what the resurrection was going to mean for them. Believe that. And after they had gone through that, and after they'd seen what what Jesus had done on that cross to bring them out of their their slavery to sin and to offer them a new life with Him. And after all they had gone through, I thought I think they were so eager to be a part of that that they were willing to just about put up with anything to be a part of it, which is exactly what Jesus did for us. He was willing to put up with anything, including death on a cross for us. And I think there's sometimes we look at that cross sometimes and think that's just our way out. That's the, that's the cross of atonement. That just takes care of my sin. And it's true, it does that, but it does more than that for us. For each and every one of us that believes, it means that we become an agent. We become a a superhero that fights against sin and death. And I say superhero because it's the power of God now that does that in us. And Jesus did this to save us but He also did it as a means of being able to say, I'm I'm, I'm getting into this relationship with you because we've got a job to do. We've got a job to do. He said, this is just the beginning. The early church thought that Jesus and everything that He'd done was really the end of things. But it was really just the beginning. And He he has drawn us into this life that says, we're going to defeat sin and death until the day that I return. You're going to fight every day against it. You're going to, you're going to grovel against it. You're going to have to push against it. You're going to have to fight. You got to, to do it just like I did it. And I think in those short three days where Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, I think those guys look back on that and they begin to understand exactly what that was about. And that's where we are. As believers today, yes, the threat of sin and the threat of death is over for us, but now we're agents of change. And it may be painful, but it's necessary to be all that He has called us to be. So He's someone we can trust. Because before any of it began, he knew exactly what had to be done. He's one that is in control. And if we want to live a life with him, we have to allow him to be in control. He is the one who, even though in the face of uncertainty of knowing that if not maybe not any of these guys will believe, he still went to the cross because he trusted his father. And we do believe. And in that life, we can do more than just say we're going to stand with Him. Because we have the power over sin and death that resides in us in the Spirit of God, we will stand with Him. And Paul says when you get to the end of standing, what do you do after that? You stand some more. That's who we are. Let's pray.